Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. Now, if you haven't turned to Mark yet, I'm going to encourage you to do it. I will literally not go to any other place in your Bible today. Uh, You can hang out in in Mark 7 uh, all day, and it's going to be a good time. So if you don't know where that is, it's in the New Testament. My students are here, so this is for them as much as for you. Uh, New Testament, so two-thirds of the way through the Bible, you'll find Mark. And this is one of the accounts of Jesus' life. And what we saw between this week and last week is that Mark is dealing with doubt. That there are people that were doubting whether or not Jesus was who he said he was. Uh, In in chapter 6, we see the disciples struggling uh, with whether or not uh, he was really the, the one who God had sent to save them. They had thought for sure he was a good teacher, perhaps a miracle worker. And Peter, in a crazy moment of faith, decides to step out of the boat. And then even he deals with doubt and starts to fall into the water. And then Mark gives us a clear example of the faith that Jesus had actually wanted from his disciples In Mark 6, verses 53 through 56, uh, we see the people uh, of the area of Gesineret, and they come and they flock to Jesus. The text says that they immediately recognized him. And this is not in the sense of, hey, I recognize Meredith. Like, I know that's who she is. Uh, These people didn't know who Jesus was. When they say that they recognized him immediately, this is what they recognized. He is Emmanuel, God with us. That this is the one who God had sent. That this is literally a God here on earth. God in the flesh coming to be with his people. And that's who they recognized. And the people closest to Jesus couldn't. And the Pharisees and religious leaders surely couldn't either. And that's where we pick up in chapter 7. In chapter 7, we're going to see the Pharisees come in. And these were men who were the religious leaders of the day. And so verse 1 starts like this. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. They observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? And he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have to let go of the commands of, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. So this is the scene that we enter into in Mark 7. 
Like I said, the Pharisees had come from Jerusalem, which was the major religious center of the day, uh, at least if you were a Hebrew. And they had sent a small contingent uh, of their leaders to check out whether or not they really needed to be worried about who Jesus was. So they watch him and they watch him interact with his disciples. And this is what they notice. They don't seem to always wash their hands. And so as I, as I was preparing, uh, the image God gave to me was walking around a farmer's market. Like I imagine Jesus and his disciples walking around a farmer's market. And if I was there and I pass an apple vendor, I will stop every time. I am truly obsessed with apples. I want to try every type of apple. Uh, I think there's just such great variety. And for whatever reason, I always stop. And I will stop and I will eat that apple right there. And that would be enough for the Pharisees to be upset with me. That I hadn't washed my hands to eat this apple. That's the image that we're getting here. Is that the disciples had gone to the marketplace. They had gotten food and they didn't wash their hands. And it kind of sounds gross, but it's really not because we do it all the time. We do this exact same thing all the time. We don't normally touch things that are really all that unclean. I mean, we do, but it's not like the big things. The Pharisees would have absolutely had a cow, and so would the disciples if they would have touched a dead body. They go and they wash their hands because that was ceremonially unclean. They touch blood, that's ceremonial unclean. They touch an unclean animal like a pig. They're going to go wash their hands. But through the course of their ordinary day, they don't stop and wash their hands at every moment. And we do the same thing. And that's what what the Pharisees are upset about, is that they didn't uh, make themselves clean, even though they probably were already clean. You see, and so uh, Jesus hears this. And he proceeds to give two counterpoints to their frustration, and then he corrects their understanding of what it is to be clean. And so the first counterpoint is this, that man-made traditions never triumph over God's commandments. The Pharisees had it backwards. Verse 6, he says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have, to, you have let go of the commandments of God and are holding on to human traditions. You see, Jesus makes it clear that while the Pharisees had been doing a good job of looking right, they had heart issues. There was heart things going on that needed to be taken care of. And what God had intended to protect his people through basic hygiene practices had turned into a matter of right standing before God. What God had meant to protect his people had turned into something it was never meant to be. You see, the people were not meant to have to wash their hands. They were meant to have to come before God. They were meant to worship him. That's what God wanted for his people. You see, God told his people to be right with him. They had to obey the laws he had given them. And then he provided a way for them through the sacrificial system uh, when they messed up. God gave them rules and said, I know you're going to break them, so I'm giving you a way out. Man, we do that with our kids all the time. 
I give my kid a rule. I tell him, here's the consequence. And then if you go and break that, if you break that rule and here's the consequence, I'll find a way to hopefully give you some grace because I don't want to come down on them. And God does the same thing. You see, but what the Pharisees had done was they had just ignored God's commandment altogether and come up with their own version of what they needed to do. You see, it was never a matter of working hard enough to deserve God. Uh, Nowhere in Scripture does it give us the indication that God was surprised that we would mess up. You see, that's the whole point of the Bible. He knew we had and would mess up. And he's saying there's a better way forward for you. You can't do it apart from me. But the Pharisees missed it. And they thought that perhaps through legalism, through the right doing of religious acts, that they can get to God. And Jesus says, not today. Not today, not ever. Never has there been a time. And what they had missed was that God was not demanding their legalism, but a heart that was earnest for his presence. They had taken God's God's law and made that into God. They replaced the uncreated one for his creation and missed out on the relationship he had established for his people. You see, uh, we made and still make the rules, especially the ones uh, that, that we think God would demand of us. And all he's saying is, follow me. Choose me above all else. Uh, and so uh, the, the big issue for them is they thought that it wasn't hard enough to get to God. That it really wasn't hard enough. That God couldn't possibly just want to be with me. You see, that's the biggest issue for them, and I think it's still the biggest issue today. We don't understand who God is, so we create a version of him that we do. We don't understand a God who just wants to be with us regardless of what we've done. We want a God who we could understand. You see, Jesus is telling us that that's not the way it is. God defines himself. Not the other way around. I don't define God. I open scripture and scripture tells me who this God is that I'm following. The problem is uh, I want a God I can understand because if I can't understand him, I can't possibly trust him. And that's what faith is, is trusting the God that we can't fully understand. Because it'd be far easier if God was like me. I would understand his motives far more. It'd be easier if God was like my wife because uh, I could understand uh, that God far easier. He'd be far more gracious than I am. But you see, my wife is flawed and so am I. So no matter who I pick in that spot of I want a God like that person, they're messed up. They're not going to do it right all the time. But we choose to follow that God more often than the God of the Bible. Because man-made commandments are far easier than God's. And Jesus gives us that first counterpoint. And then he says, and there's a second one. Verses 9 through 14, 13. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, 
that if anyone declares that he might have been used, what he might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your own tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like this. You see, they had justified their own disobedience, and we do the same. The way that the NLT phrases it is beautiful. Verse 9 says it this way. Then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own traditions. This idea of sidestepping in your notes, I didn't put it there because I didn't want anyone to be offended. Right? Sidestepping straight to hell. Sidestepping straight to hell to hell because that is what Jesus is declaring is that when we sidestep God's will and his plan for our life we are no longer following the God of the Bible so we will sidestep step straight to hell you see because the historical context of this passage in particular is this that there were people who had needy mothers and fathers and there were children who had means And those children didn't want to help mom and dad. And so they came up with a way to not help their mom and dads and clothe it in righteousness. You see, the fifth commandment and the first one to come with the promise is to honor God or to honor your mother and father. And so what the Pharisees said was, that's a great commandment, but honoring God with your money is far better because ultimately it's far better for my bank account. And so the Pharisees look at those who didn't want to help their parents and say, just call it Corbin. Call it a gift to God. Give it to God and then we can, uh, you can give some of it to the church and you can hold on to more of it. And Jesus is saying, are you kidding me? Commandment number five, the first one with a promise and you're not going to obey it. You're disregarding God's commandments in order to please yourself. You see, I think we do the same thing all the time. We say things that sound spiritual, but ultimately they benefit us. So I grew up in the church and probably the one way I heard it most often was this. God wants me to date that person. That is God's will for my life that I would be with that person. And then you talk to the other person, you're like, I'm pretty sure God's will for my life is not to date that person. So who's right? Right, We come up with these things all the time. And it's not just teenagers who do this or those who are looking for a husband or or wife. We may laugh about them, but we do the same thing. God, I think you want me to have that new car. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that you've given me these means to to go buy this thing. Disregard the fact that I'm not honoring you in my everyday life. I'm sure this is how you want me to honor you today is to get the thing that I want. And so we sidestep because it's easier. You see, sidestepping once is quickly correctable, but doing it over and over again will cause great issue. Malachi, are you in here? Perfect. Ben, come here. Sorry, Ben. Malachi was supposed to be my demonstration. Thanks, Ben. 
Doesn't Ben look good, guys? All right, Ben, you're going to stand right here. This is the start of your life. And you're going to take one step forward, right? Ben takes a step forward. That's great. He takes another step forward. And then all of a sudden, hey, I'm Jesus. Great to meet you. Here's the plan. You're going to walk straight out those doors. That is the plan for your life. You just got to step off the edge. And Ben has one of two options. I'm going to trust that that's the best path forward, or he's going to look around. Look around. There's other options. Hey, why don't you sidestep to the right? Oh, that seems easier. There's stairs there. You can keep sidestepping, couldn't you? Yeah, why don't you sidestep a little bit more? Don't forget, the goal is to go out that door. Keep sidestepping. Maybe walk forward a little bit. Uh, sidestep again. Man, I don't like God's rule here. I'm going to sidestep. I don't trust uh, that God has me best right here. Sidestep again. And all of a sudden, I'm parallel to God's will. I might even look like I'm moving forward in his plan, but now walk forward. Uh, this is easy. This feels good. Keep walking. Oh, man, this still feels all right. Keep walking. And all of a sudden, I run into a roadblock. And here's the thing. I could either keep going forward, which I know Ben is athletic enough to do it. <laughs> he could keep walking forward. And if he kept walking forward, here's what would end up happening. He would still run into a wall that he couldn't move. This path is far more difficult, but it feels easier in the moment. A sidestep is always a sidestep, never progress. Ben, you're good. You see, that's the point. Sidestepping doesn't get us to where we want to go. The visual is perfect because it's easy now. I could walk off the stage, but when I need to go forward, it won't do what I intended it to do. And the problem is I bring people with me. Man, that first step, this one is scary. Because here's what it relies on, that I believe that God has what's best for me in store. This is a big leap. To trust someone other than myself is a big leap. And he says, stop sidestepping. Stop doing that. Because what ends up happening is you justify yourself over and over again. And you think that's the, that's the easy path and you come up with all these mental gymnastics to make it easier. You justify and justify. And like I said, the first one is the most difficult because you know this is the right way. And this one, that's difficult because you're actually leaving God's path. And the second one, that's far easier because it's still my path. The third one, even easier. I'm further away. I could make it look good, but it's still not. It doesn't matter how many sidesteps I take, the, the further out I get, the easier it will become to leave God's path. Because uh, what we get in this room is this beautiful illustration. If this is God's path and that's the way he wants me to go, and I don't like legalism, I could walk out those doors in another religion, or I could walk out those doors on a different path too. They don't lead me to the same place. There is one way forward, and that's with God, and that's through him. And Jesus continues in verse 14, and he says, Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. 
Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters into a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. And in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. And he went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these come from inside and defile a person. You see, Jesus is correcting their misunderstanding by saying it doesn't matter what food is being eaten, whether it's clean or unclean. That's not what defiles someone. It's a matter of the heart. And so the commandment that was meant to keep God's people healthy was converted and perverted into something that kept them far from God. And see, their duty was to obey the commandment not to eat the food that God had had said not to eat, to to wash their hands the way that God had said. Uh, But their ultimate duty was always to worship God for his provision. His laws were meant to be a reflection that he had provided for his people. They were never meant to become God themselves. You see, and it is in this way that Jesus is putting an end to legalism and its contemporary cousin, moralism. You see, both are sure that if you look okay, then you are okay. If you just try hard enough, you're not really all that bad. It's fake it till you make it dressed up in the finest clothing. Legalism is human attempt to remove a need for a savior, and moralism flat out denies the savior exists. You see, God does not demand legalism or moralism, but a heart that is quickened by the gospel. You see, they are both forms of idolatry that seek to replace God with self. Both of them, when fully exposed, display their faults. You see, at best, they paint over the rot that is sin nature. It's like painting an outhouse and calling it a home. It doesn't work. You could make the outhouse look great, but let's be honest, it's fit for one thing and one thing only, and you don't want to sleep there. Yet moralism and legalism, it does the same exact thing. All it does is it makes us look good, but doesn't change the interior part of our hearts. And God is saying, enough. Enough, that's not what I want. I want your heart above all else. I want you to be made alive to the gospel. I want your heart to beat in time with mine. I want you to want me above all else. It's time to move out of the outhouse and into the mansion. God has given you so much more than you could think or imagine, and you have to stop sidestepping him thinking that you're better off without him. I have to stop sidestepping him, thinking my ways are better than his ways. Because here's what happens when I do that. I'm reminded of Job. 
I'm reminded of Jonah. I'm reminded of Isaiah, Elijah, Ezekiel. You go down the list of any major figure in the Bible, and when they were confronted with God and thought that their ways were better, here's what he said. Who in the world are you to counsel me? Were you there before the foundations of the earth were laid? Were you there when I spoke creation into being? Were you there when I knew you would be formed? Were you there watching over your own selves? No, but I was. I knew everything that would happen. So stop sidestepping me. Follow me because it's the easier path. And God proves himself over and over again. The problem is we think that our path is easier, that somehow if I don't follow God's path, I could look more like God, but it doesn't work that way. So I grew up in a home with two parents, and uh, I didn't think I would ever be anything like them. In fact, I kind of dreaded the idea that I would be. But here's the deal. I spent 20 years with them, and after 20 years of being with someone, you start to act more like them even though you don't want to. I say things that I heard my mom say to me. I'm like, what? No, no. I don't want to be her. I love my mom. She's great. I don't want to be her. Do the same thing with my dad. Ezra does it with me. If you talk to Ezra and you tell him something and he he doesn't believe it or he knows better, here's what he says. Actually? I'm like, oh, I say actually a lot. He listens to what I say and he says it. And here's the deal. When we sidestep, we think it's easier because it's our path. But when all we have to do is follow God, we look more like him naturally. I didn't choose to look like my mom and dad. It just happened that way. I spent time with them. I don't choose to, to be more gracious the way my wife is. But I've spent almost 10, 10 years with her. And so... I look more like her, and she looks more like me in some good ways and probably some bad ways. But here's the deal. If we want to look more like Jesus, we need to drop moralism, we need to drop legalism, and we need to move forward confidently knowing he has us. And that's the exchange that we make. We can either stop our ceaseless striving and exchange it for his completed work, or we can carry on like nothing will ever change. You see, because what this comes down to is, do you want a faith that is full of what has already been done, or do you want a religion that is based on your doing? And so this morning, we're going to participate in a visible reminder of what it looks like uh, to, to have a faith full of God's doing. We're going to celebrate communion, because that is what... Com- communion ultimately is, is a a mark for me at least of what God has already done, that I don't need to do anything further, that as the, the cup and the bread represent his body and blood that was broken on our behalf, that he has already done everything that needs to be done. And so this morning, as we get ready to take communion, uh, we are going to invite you to come up that you can come and grab the elements for yourself. You can grab a, a cup and you can grab a, a piece of bread or, or wafer, whatever it might be. And that you can remember physically through this act that you are trading in your doing for his done. And if that's not you, 
if you aren't trading in his doing, his done for yours, don't come forward. I'm just gonna tell you, if that's not where you're at, don't celebrate his act if you aren't celebrating it. Don't make it another religious duty that you have to do. Make it an act of worship that you are coming before God and saying, thank you for what you've done and who you are. So when you're ready, you can come forward. Ed and I will be up here. I'll be able to pray. Ed's gonna be playing some music. And I'm gonna come back in just a few moments. But as you prepare your hearts, would you be reminded that you need God every hour, every minute, every second, and that it is not dependent upon your doing, but his done? And would you worship him through communion this morning?